This morning for our text, we will look at Psalm 1, and we will read all six verses. Psalm 1, 1 through 6. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. This psalm has often been referred to as a lesson in contrasts. Some psalms are giving a, a title. This one is given a subtitle. It just says, The Righteous and the Wicked Contrasted. And I don't believe there's probably a chapter or a portion of Scripture that gives us a better picture of the stark difference between the righteous and the godly. So with the Lord's help this morning, we will consider Psalm 1. It begins here, verses 1 through 3, gives us a description of the godly man or the righteous man. And in verse 1, it tells us what he won't do. Verse 2 tells us what he will do. And verse 3 gives us the end result or the final picture for the righteous man. He won't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He won't stand in the way of sinners. And he will not sit in the seat of the scornful. He won't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You know, the righteous man is going to be very careful about who he listens to. He's going to be very careful about where he seeks counsel and what type of counsel he is seeking. He won't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Does that mean that every bit of advice we get from the world should be rejected? Well, certainly not. You know, there are times when we may seek professional counsel regarding a project or something we want to do around the house. I know uh, many years ago, my wife and I, when we lived in California, we would have problems with our lawn sometimes. Um, it would get very yellow. Sometimes it would die out, and we were struggling with it at times, and we would try different things. And so finally one day, we decided to call the lawn doctor. I didn't call Brother Darrell. I didn't call my pastor. I called the lawn doctor. I called the expert. And they came out and they diagnosed the problem and they told us uh, what he recommended and we did what he recommended. And you know what? It took care of the problem. So not all counsel should be rejected or be considered as ungodly, but it's important that we know the difference between godly and ungodly counsel. Ungodly counsel would be any counsel 
that would take a secular or a humanistic approach rather than a biblical approach. That's ungodly counsel. And a counsel that would undermine or challenge or question the authority and the truth of God's word is ungodly counsel. Any counsel that would be offered as an alternative to God's word is ungodly counsel. Any counsel that would cause a person to be drawn away from the Lord is ungodly counsel. So we want to be very careful to be able to discern the difference. You know, sometimes worldly counsel may actually seem very good. It may even seem reasonable. It might make sense to us. It might seem logical. Sometimes it's delivered with the best of intentions and in all sincerity, but we have to be able to discern if it is counsel that would discredit the Word of God or dishonor the Word of God in any way. We need to reject it as ungodly counsel. My daughter, oldest daughter, Diana, years ago, she was about four years of age, and she came to me one time with some counsel. She had some advice about preaching. And she told me, Dad, if you want to make your sermons more interesting, make stuff up. Well, that was her counsel. It made sense to her in her four-year-old mind. That was perfectly logical. But unfortunately, I had to reject that as ungodly counsel. I didn't take her advice. But the righteous man will not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. We won't let our worldview and our morality, our ethics, our lifestyles, they're not going to be shaped by the standards of this world. We apply a higher standard to our lives. We apply God's word to our lives so we won't walk in ungodly counsel. Who are the ungodly? Well, all who are unsaved are ungodly. You may be a good moral person. You may be honest and upright. You may be a faithful church attender. But if you haven't bowed your knee to the Lord, if you haven't submitted your life to Jesus Christ, you are ungodly. An ungodly person is somebody who lives without God in the world. And so we know at times their counsel is going to be flawed. You know, you don't have to be an evildoer to be an ungodly person. An ungodly person could be someone who simply is uninfluenced by God. It's the one who makes his plans and lives his life without considering the Lord. They live by their own counsel. Brother John read the parable of the rich fool, and Jesus told that parable himself. You know, he didn't ascribe this man's character. All we really know about him is it said he was rich, he was prosperous, and he was a fool. Why did Jesus consider him a fool? Because he lived his life and he planned his life independently and apart from God. Said he thought within himself. He said, this will I do. He said, to my soul. So we can see everything he planned, he did on his own without even considering God the creator, the giver of all good things. And we see in a moment of time, all those things that he lived for and planned for vanished just like the chaff which the wind drives away and he perished. The Word of God says that that day his soul was required of him and the Lord found him to be a fool. 
Why? Because he did what all ungodly people do. It said he laid up treasures for himself and he wasn't rich toward God. He lived for the temporal things and he failed to plan for eternity. And I thought about it as I read that passage of Scripture, I realized it doesn't say that he ever consulted anybody else. He never had asked advice from anybody else. You know, sometimes the worst counsel we can get is counsel we give ourselves. If we're trusting in our own strength and our own intellect, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that man is death. The heart is deceitful and wicked. The last thing we want to do in life is to try to go it alone. So we always want to go to God first for our counsel. You know, God's word is the best counsel. Psalm 119.24 says, Thy testimonies are my delight and my counselors. You will never go wrong when you go to God's word and you seek godly counsel from God's word and from God's people. We know the ungodly have their counsel, but it also tells us that the righteous man won't stand in the way of sinners. The ungodly have their counsel. You know what? Sinners have their way. They have their own path. The sinner, as it's described here, is one who misses the mark. It means to pass over the prohibited limits. The sinful, the sinner, as it's described here, is a willful transgressor. Not only are they like the godless in that they are without God and uninfluenced by Him, but they willfully transgress His laws. They are openly rebellious. The righteous man will not stand in the way of sinners. It tells us that the righteous man will not sit in the seat of the scornful. And we see a progression here in this psalm. You can go from walking to standing to sitting. As you begin to consider the counsel of the ungodly, you know the things you think about will affect and influence the things you do. They will affect your actions. You consider the counsel of the ungodly. You begin to act upon their advice. You begin to do the things that ungodly people do. And we see this downward spiral. If you continue down that life of sin, if you continue to harden your heart and rebel against the Lord and the God's truth, eventually you might find yourself sitting with the scornful. The scornful are those who would openly oppose God and blaspheme God. They are those who mock and ridicule the things of God and the people of God and the, they have no regard or respect for things that are sacred or holy. They shake their fists at God and they challenge God's existence. Obviously, the righteous man will have nothing to do with the ungodly and the scorner. And we know the end result. It says in Isaiah 29, 20, that the scorner is consumed and the wicked are cut off. But you know, we can avoid that path altogether by refusing to take that first step, by refusing to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. We can avoid ever beginning down that road. Verse 2 tells us what the righteous man will do. We heard what he won't do. But verse 2 tells us 
His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He delights in the law of the Lord, and the law of the Lord, as it's mentioned here, isn't just talking about the Old Testament law or the Levitical law. It's in talking about the entire Word of God. The righteous man delights in the Word of God, and he meditates upon it. You know, if you delight in something, nobody has to force you to do it. Nobody has to convince you to enjoy it or to like it. You gladly do it. You look forward to it because you delight in it. Nobody has to convince me to sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream, especially if it's ice cream from Cloud City, especially if it's my favorite flavor, which happens to be called Better Than Therapy. And for me, it is better than therapy. I delight in it. It soothes me. I enjoy doing it. You don't have to convince me to do it. But for the man of God, you don't have to force him to read the Word of God. It says, They that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. It's something that we want to delight in. It tells us that he meditates on it day and night. That word meditate isn't referring to the type of meditation that you'll find in the world where a person's encouraged to empty their mind. You know, that can be a very dangerous thing. When you do that, you may open your mind up. You will open your mind up for all kinds of ungodly and evil influences. Satan is the prince, the power of the air, and you can be sure he is going around looking for empty minds. There's plenty of them out there, and he'll fill it with all kinds of ungodly things, but it says to meditate upon a word day and night. That indicates that we actually are filling our minds. We're not emptying it. We're filling it with the things of God. We're thinking about the promises of God. We're thinking about the commandments of the Lord, and we're delighting in that. And you know, God's Word gives us a whole list of things that we can think of. Philippians 4.8 says, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just or pure, lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So the man of God, the one who wants to please the Lord, will be delighting in the Lord and meditating upon His Word day and night. You know, the best way to avoid ungodly counsel is to know what the Word of God says. It says the entrance of the words giveth light. It tells us that the word is like a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. The word of God encourages us as study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we know by delighting in the law of the Lord, we can avoid ungodly counsel. By delighting in the law of the Lord, you know what? We're going to avoid standing in the way of sinners to delight in the law of the Lord. Not only do we study it and know it and memorize it, we want to apply it to our lives. My word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 19.7 says that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So we can see by delighting in the Lord, we can avoid all of these pitfalls that so often befall the wicked. We see what he will do. We see what he won't do. And verse 3 tells us what the godly man will be like. 
He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. He says he'll be like a tree. That's a picture of stability and strength. Steadfastness, the man of God, the one that delights in the law of God, he's going to be able to withstand those storms of life. Ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. It says that he will be planted by those rivers of water. Again, to be planted uh, refers to something that's done intentionally. We don't get ourselves there. We're not just some random uh, wild weed growing, but God intentionally plants us by those rivers of living water. We see purpose and productivity in the life of the godly. It says he'll bring forth his fruit in his season. We see prosperity. His leaf won't wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Is that a picture of you? Does that describe your life? It can be. If you follow those principles laid out in this first psalm and this, uh, this description of the godly, if you'll pattern yourself after the godly man, you can have these blessings in your life. You can be blessed of God. Then we go to verse 4 and 5, and we see the psalm taking a pretty drastic turn. Now we see a description of the ungodly, and we see the contrast between the two. Verse 5, or verse 4, says, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The ungodly are not so. You know, Everything that we just read about regarding the godly man, the righteous man, just the opposite is true of the ungodly. It may seem at times like just the opposite is true. We may look around and we may wonder, why do God's people sometimes suffer? Why do the ungodly seem to prosper? Why does it seem to be so good for them? You know what? It is not so. It is not so. The psalmist here was writing from an eternal perspective. You know, every good thing, every blessing, every day of prosperity that the wicked man enjoys is fleeting. It's fleeting. At the end of this life, it ends with this life. Nowhere is this contrast more obvious or will it be more obvious than in eternity. Oh, but it tells us the wicked are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. You know, I believe it was Malcolm Forbes. He was one of the richest men in the world at the time. And I think he had somebody put on his tombstone, he who dies with the most toys wins. What a sad, sad philosophy on life. No, in a moment of time, all of that stuff will be swept away if you're unrighteous and ungodly. But for the life of the righteous man, the godly man, life just begins at eternity. It tells us that the wicked, by choosing to stand in the way of sinners, has no hope of standing 
in the day of judgment or in the congregation of the righteous. Not so with the godly man. For the man whose sins have been forgiven and who sent his sins on up ahead of time, for the man whose name is written in that Lamb's book of life, there's no fear of death. There's no fear of facing God in the judgment because he's a righteous man. He's been following the Lord and he gives his life wholly and fully to the Lord. We know for the godly, he chooses a different path. He chooses the path of the just, those ways of righteousness. And we know it's that way that will lead to eternal life. We know for the man who sits in the seat of the scornful, he's never going to sit around the throne of God. He will never find himself seated at that table during the marriage supper of the Lamb. And one day he's going to go to the door and he's going to find it closed. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. And he's going to be facing everlasting punishment. That's the fate for the man who will sit in the seat of the scornful. Not so for the man of God. It's just the opposite. And really, verse 6 just kind of summarizes this whole chapter. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Aren't you thankful the Lord knows the way of the righteous? You know, that, may, that way may lead you in the valley. You may be going through discouraging times. You may not fully understand why the Lord has brought you to a particular place. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. It's like Job said, the Lord, he says, the Lord knows the way I take, that when he's tried me, I shall come, come forth as pure gold. God knows the way of the righteous. He knows where you are. You don't have to know. God can know for the both of you. For us, if you're righteous, God knows the way you take. It tells us that the eyes of the Lord go throughout the whole earth looking for those whose hearts are perfect toward Him. Why? So He can show Himself strong on your behalf. That's a promise in God's Word. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. We know His ear, it says, is open to the cry of the righteous. We have God's protection and providence and provision. It says that the righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all his troubles. The man who's following the Lord has God's blessing upon him. Blessed is the man who maketh the Lord his trust. Blessed is the man who maketh the Lord his trust. God knows the way of the righteous. Aren't you thankful for that? but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You know, I believe this psalm really kind of, it brings us to a choice. It kind of brings us to a crossroads. We see two paths being represented. We see two ways and we see two destinations completely different from each other. But really, we only have one choice. We'll either choose the path of the righteous or we'll choose the path of the wicked. You can't walk on both paths. We either choose life or we choose death. We either choose blessing or we choose cursing. But the choice is ours. You know, one day, the fact is, and it's sobering to think about, but one day, every one of us here is going to face eternity. Every one of us from the youngest to the oldest, one day we will face eternity. 
And the path that you've chosen to walk on, the path that you're on when you leave this world is the path that's going to determine where you spend eternity. But the good news is... We can choose the path of the righteous. We can choose the path of the just. The Lord is extending mercy and grace. One more opportunity. If you're not on that path today, I would encourage you, get on that path. Just pray an honest prayer. Repent. Confess your sins. Yield your life to the Lord. The Lord will save you and He'll put you on that straight and narrow, that good path, that way that leads to eternal life. If you're on that path, I would continue. I would encourage you, continue on that path. Continue to seek the Lord. Delight yourself in the law of the Lord. Draw nigh to God. He'll draw near to you. If you need to be sanctified, God can sanctify you. God can fill you with His Holy Spirit and give you that power to walk that path. And one day we know it will end in eternity with the Lord. That's the greatest thing of all is to think about where this path will lead us. We can be on that path today. If you're not on that path, I would encourage you. Make your path straight before the Lord. Get on that path. Call on the Lord today. The Lord will hear you and He'll help you. Let's sing song 653, These Altars Are Open.